Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us on the podcast today is Bob Rosen. He has written with Emma Kate Swan, most recently, the book Conscious, The Power of Awareness in Business and Life. I'm really happy to have him on the show. Bob, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Peter, it's a pleasure. Bob, what is the big idea of this book? What's the sort of underlying foundation that you decided to write about? Well, first off is that I believe the world is changing faster than the ability of people to adapt. And in fact, the book is written as a deeply human approach to personal and organizational change. Uh, So that's really the heart of the book. You know, it's an interesting idea that the world is moving faster uh, than it's ever moved. I have a friend who articulated it. Uh, the exact same idea in a very different way that gives context. He said, the world will never move again as slow as it's moving today, <laughs> right? Which means that the moving has the, the world has never moved as fast, but this is the slowest it's going to be because it's only getting faster. Yeah, well, if you look at the confluence of speed and uncertainty and complexity and Uh, globalization and competition with technology as being the uber disruptor. The challenge is that the world is changing so fast outside of us, but in a counterintuitive way, we need to change internally. And so conscious is really a personal leadership approach to change. And um, we've identified four reasons why people need to change and four practices for how to actually change. And the the business case is um, the more conscious you are, the faster you adapt and the higher performing you are. What is conscious? Conscious is a mindset, but it is a deliberate mindset that leads to positive action. And I define it as awareness and action. Are you aware of yourself, how you see the world, how you think, how you feel, and how you show up? Are you aware of other people, the relationships and how they think and feel and act? And then ultimately, are you aware of your environment, both the inside of your organization and the outside forces outside of your company? And all three areas of awareness are critical. So paint the picture for me of a day of someone who's unconscious, right? (laughs) Like, let's look at like, because I'm sure there are many of us that can point to people we know, or maybe even ourselves at times, or maybe we could recognize elements of ourselves in this picture. So I want to sort of start with that. And then we'll go to conscious. So paint the picture. What does a day look like, you know, in in the world of uh, or the world around an unconscious person? Well, it's less unconscious than it is less conscious. So what seems to happen is that many of us are operating on autopilot as the world is changing very quickly. So some people are less conscious by being too shallow. Uh, They avoid introspection. They're constantly living in bullets and tactics, and they don't go deep inside themselves. Other people are too narrow. They're locked in a box 
they, they are shackled by um, biased assumptions and old mental models and old ways of seeing themselves and their business. Some people are simply too safe. They're afraid to change. They don't want to take risks. And other people are simply too small. They're not bold. They're afraid of their own power and they don't stand up and become change leaders. So any combination of those four and you can't have too many employees in your company who are too shallow, too narrow, too safe, or too small. You know, it's interesting because I do I can think of ways in which being too shallow and too narrow could actually be helpful to people in achieving very defined objectives. And I think about, you know, like the 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 danger, and we'll get into the you know the the reasons why it's important to be conscious, but the danger of being too deep and too broad is that, you know, you can lose yourself in depth that doesn't actually accomplish stuff. So have you seen that or what, how do you, how do you get that balance right? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, first off is that most of our thinking in a world that wasn't changing so quick without all this complexity was either or thinking. It was black or white it was hot or cold. And so you're either introspecting or you're acting. You're either thinking in the short term or the long term. Leaders of the future have to be able to lead for today and tomorrow simultaneously. So they have to become both and thinkers. So you cannot afford to not go deep because if you want to change your behavior, you have got to see yourself clearly. You've got to think with an open mind and you've got to feel positive emotions in order to get sustainable behavior change. So, yes, indeed, some people are more tactical, other people more strategic, but you got to you got to lead for today and tomorrow at the same time. So it's this sort of avoiding the navel gazing element, but at the same time, you know, being like being strategic enough that your tactics are moving you in the direction that they need to move you for future focus. I think that's exactly well put. And um, you don't want a leader who is sort of acting um, impulsively right? Um, or so narrow that they lose sight of the biggest, bigger picture. One of the aspects of conscious that I talk about is to be your own drone. We psychologists have a principle called participative observation. And a really evolved leader is somebody who can step outside herself, watch herself in action. So you're sort of reflecting on yourself while you're acting at the same time. That's a very evolved skill of a psychologically evolved person. So let's get concrete about the kinds of ways in which we can become conscious that will help us to move forward in the sort of challenging speed of change. Right. Well, the first off is the antidote to being too shallow is to go deep, to understand yourself in a deeper way, to become more centered and grounded as a human being. So what does that look like? First off is that you've got to understand that we are hardwired for negative and positive emotions. And in this new disruptive world, we can easily be hijacked by our negative emotions, our anger, our stress, our anxiety, our sadness, the sense of loss of being disrupted oftentimes versus being hardwired and speaking and expressing and experiencing our positive emotions like hope and faith and generosity and empathy and yes, love. So a deep person is able to experience the whole range of their human emotions, but spend more time in their positive emotions because it has more positive impact. So you, you actually said two things. One is to feel or experience those emotions of hope yes. and, 
and and uh, empathy, and, faith, generosity, faith, generosity, all these, you know, experiencing these positive. And the other one is to express them. You use both of those words. And there's such a difference because what do you say to somebody who just doesn't feel those things, who doesn't experience it, who says, look, we're living in a world right now that is not one that engenders hope. We're living in a world in which if I'm too generous, it's going to destroy me. We're living in a world in which the risk of, 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 of belief and faith is really, really high. And, and, you know, how do you, how do you constructively work with that very real uh, experience? Well, first off, I do agree with you that there is a lot of fear and a lot of cynicism and partisanship and polarization right now and a lot of incivility in our relationships. But you can choose consciously or unconsciously in that moment not to get seduced or hijacked by that negative environment. And now some people are genetically predisposed to more anxiety or more sadness or whatever. And I'm not saying that you, a person shouldn't experience the negative emotions. It's just great leaders, really effective people, course correct quickly. They allow themselves to feel those negative emotions, but they don't get stuck in those emotions because the positive emotions are what give them all their power, all their influence, all their generosity, and they build better relationships with people. So let's explore this because I think this is this is a great point to explore, and I'm going to get in the heads of people who – who, who, you know, might challenge around here a little bit, which is the, um, if I'm actually feeling uh, a lack of sort of faith or positive outlook in what's happening, to change that, it feels sort of fake. It's kind of like, okay, so I'm scared right now, but I'm going to pretend I'm not scared. Or I'm, I'm not hopeful in this situation, but I'm going to pretend I'm hopeful. And there's something about it that feels, I think, to someone who's in that experience, disingenuous or inauthentic. Well, I think that in your question is this either or thinking that you're either hopeful or cynical. You're either happy or you're sad. And I think that for a lot of people, they're both. They can be cynical, but also be hopeful of a better tomorrow. They can say, I control some things, but I don't control others. Some things are working and some things are not. That's a much more realistic great, look at life. Great. And it's not a more evolved state. Yeah. So it's discerning. It's, it's saying, okay, this is the overwhelming feeling, but if it weren't overwhelming, what else exists there? And it's be, sort of beginning to sort of discern and break apart the cloud of confusion to be able to say there and acknowledging and being real about the saying there is reason for lack of hope and there is reason for hope. And let's parse that out and not pretend one doesn't exist, but also not give ourselves over to it. Yeah, I think that each moment of every day we have a choice consciously or unconsciously. We choose to live our life in fear or in love. But I want to make another But hold on, point. let me push you on this because you're now making the dichotomy yourself. You're saying we either choose to be in fear or in love. And, and I hear in you a, saying a, something more subtle moment. than that. I hear you yeah, saying we, that you could actually, be in fear and in love. Both. You're right. Right. You're right. That's a good point. Okay. Um, I also want to make another point, and that is that in a disruptive and accelerating world, we're going to be more uncomfortable more often. We're going to fall down more often and get up. We have to develop the skills of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, 
to live in uncertainty, to bounce back in the face of adversity. That is a new skill that we are not taught as children. In fact, there's research that says if you're a teenager between 15 and a young adult 25, and you don't have a life crisis in your life, you are vulnerable to falling apart at age 40. So we need to help people develop the skills, the psychological skills to thrive in a world that is changing so fast. How do we do that? Well, first off is that we have to give people permission to not be perfect and to not have all the answers and to create cultures that allow people to make mistakes and to learn together publicly and to make vulnerability an asset, not a liability. That's one of the great contributions that Brene Brown has made. She's given people permission to be vulnerable. See, I believe that stability is an illusion and uncertainty is reality. Every time we breathe, the world changes. And with uncertainty comes being vulnerable. So we are all vulnerable. Let's just acknowledge the truth and then try to figure out how to solve problems together. So I want to, there's something that you've said that I really like about the non-duality of these elements. And and I want to, I want to, I want to um, keep us to that in the conversation because I think it's really useful to sort of say stability doesn't exist anymore. It's all about uh, what? What was the word you used? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. And I think the reality is there are places where there is stability and there are places where there's uncertainty. And just, you know, unless what you're saying is different, unless you're saying there is zero stability anymore and it's all uncertainty. No. No, I think that the body and the mind and organizations need injections of stability from time to time. Uh, just take a look at a, vac a vacation or a sabbatical or a timeout or going to sleep. Those are all opportunities for stability. But if you look at each one, we are changing during those stable times. We are always changing. It's an Asian Buddhist principle of impermanence, that the world is never the same. And I happen to come from that school. Having said that, it's important to be stable. It's important for organizations to be stable from time to time as they change. And a leader's job is to help to give that sense of stability while they're transforming their business at the same time. What are some rituals or ways that leaders can create that stability in the context of the uncertainty? Well, first off is to celebrate short-term successes. That's number one. Two is to put out a higher purpose or a big vision that people can believe in, knowing that the path to get from A to B or A to Z is going to be bumpy. It's going to change. It's going to go through a variety of gyrations, and that's okay. But if you still have that North Star in place, that can be very, very important. See, well, I think one of the one of the goals of a good leader these days is to live with and create just the right amount of anxiety. We've seen anxiety as a bad thing. I see it as energy. Too little anxiety is the face of complacency. Too much anxiety is chaos. So how do you help create a just enough anxiety environment that allows people to learn and grow and change and at the same time stay focused on the work that they have to do today. Yeah, it requires that the leader not be overtaken by their own anxiety or not be too complacent Absolutely. themselves because otherwise Absolutely. they lose their ability to do that. Yeah, I, I, when I think about stability, I also think about not, not just short-term successes and things like that, but also rituals and practices, meaning I think that if you know every Monday morning you're going to have a phone call and we're going to talk to you about certain things, if you know 
that, you know, on, on a regular basis, we're going to have certain kinds of conversations or we will celebrate things, but in, in a ritualized way that you know you can rely on. If there's certain practices that you could rely on in the environment, I wonder if those are good ways of creating stability in the context of that uncertainty. Yeah, I think that's what meditation, I think that's what going to the gym is all about, sort of creating stability in a chaotic life that helps you stay grounded. You know, if all else changes, at least you know you're going to the gym and you're eating broccoli and you're having oatmeal for breakfast. And it creates exactly. a stability in the face of, of that uncertainty. We, we actually uh, offer grounded and conscious workshops inside companies to, for the executive suite all the way down to individual contributors. And the book before Conscious was called Grounded. And basically, I make the point that who you are as a human being drives what you do and how you perform. And the leaders who can withstand the stresses and winds of change are grounded by six roots. They're physical, they're emotional, they're intellectual, they're social, they're vocational, and they're spiritual roots. That becomes very important to withstanding all the change. Conscious is the accelerator that the more aware you are of yourself in the world, the faster you can adapt in all this change and transformation. See, I do think that every CEO I talk to talks about the importance of organizational transformation, but we have underestimated that every person in the organization needs to transform themselves in order for the organization to transform themselves. And we have underrealized and underappreciated the whole personal side of change. Right. Uh, what do you say to someone who um, says, I'm in an organizational setting and spiritual isn't a part of what we're doing here? Right. Well, I think a lot of people, some people don't like the word spiritual. Uh, they, they automatically connect it to religion. We define spiritual in a different way. One is, do you have a higher purpose? Two is, do you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself? And three, do you have a sense of generosity and gratitude about your life? And we have found in our 360 assessments that the spiritually, that spiritual health is the strongest predictor of leadership performance as rated by bosses and peers and subordinates. So people want their leaders to be quote unquote spiritually healthy, no matter how you define spirituality. Okay, so go deep is one of the things. There's there's three other elements to this. Think big, get real, and step up. Right. So um, narrow is the pitfall for thinking big. So if you're stuck in a box, what you want to do is to get out of that box and think big. First off, you have to get up on your drone. You've got to look. You've got to... You got to participate in reality at the same time that you're watching yourself as you participate in reality, getting up on your own drum. Uh, secondly, is you got to develop a Google mind. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of people needing to be relevant in the marketplace as the world changes. And that means the importance of learning agility. It means learning all the time. It means expanding your mind. It's rewiring yourself for growth. It's staying ahead of the competition. Uh, so that becomes very important. And the third part of uh, um, uh, thinking big is the whole issue of developing a personal ecosystem. The networkers and the collaborators will be the successful leaders in the future. So the question is, do you have your own personal brand? Are you developing great relationships? And are you building a network both digitally and interpersonally that can help to 
help you learn and help you get ahead in your career. Those are all about thinking big. So one question that I have is as I look at at you know these four things and we'll get to get real and step up there's I, I i imagine it could be a little overwhelming to people who are listening and people who are reading the book because there's a lot to do like there's almost like here's the perfect human being that you can be in this yeah. in this arena and you got to do all these things and just you know we could spend five years on one of them on thinking big on doing the things that you just described and never really quite get it right where would you suggest that people start if we were going to take one step to implement this, to start increasing our capacity to act in a world in which there's a lot of uncertainty, what would you suggest would be a good first step? Read conscious. Read conscious, <laughs> absolutely. And there's a, no. there's a million great ideas in conscious. So what would you draw out of that in terms of a first step? Well, I think the first thing is the third practice, which is to get real. It was written as the third practice, but in our workshops, it's the first practice, which is to get real to look at the reality of yourself and your environment. The problem is, is that people are scared of looking at themselves. They're scared of looking at their environment. And really effective leaders are both realistic and optimistic at the same time. They believe that, they can, that tomorrow will be better than today, but they're very honest about what's working and not working. So step one is to really look at yourself and look at your situation and to be very honest. To me, that's really, really important. Uh, I'll give you an example. And, and, and part of that is to recognize what forces are, the, we call them accelerators in the book. What drives you forward? Is it optimism? Is it your faith? Is it confidence? Is, your, is it your drive? What is it that drives you forward to be the best person that you can be? And then secondly is what are your hijackers? What holds you back? What do you trip over? What sabotages you? Like your perfectionism or your need to control or your, your desire to please other people. What are those hijackers? So getting real with yourself and looking at yourself in the mirror and asking yourself, what are the smudges? Am I seeing myself clearly? Do I think with an open mind? Am I feeling positive emotions? So diagnosing yourself is really, really important as a first step. And is the goal then to try to perfect ourselves by getting rid of the, the hijackers and, and kind of cleansing ourselves of those things and, and sort of filling ourselves up with the accelerators? No, I'm not a big fan of the word perfection. Uh, I'm as imperfect as they come. And I think if people could fall in love with their perfection, imperfections, they'd be a hell of a lot happier. Um, so I think first off is that you can't be everything to everybody. You can't develop those six roots of the physical, emotional, and do everything right. I mean, look at Steve Jobs, one of the most effective leaders. He didn't get his emotional health very well, and he didn't get uh, necessarily his spiritual health or his social health, but he was a master of vocational health and intellectual health. Right. And so right. nobody has it all. And the same with conscious. You're constantly becoming more conscious. Now, the interesting thing is that about 95% of, of what goes on in our head is unconscious. So if we could increase our consciousness, our awareness, by one to two or three percentage points, we would be that much more effective in life. So the goal is not to get rid of the hijackers. No, not at all. In fact, in fact, Many of them are, are genetic or they're psychologically genetic and, and they're part of us. They're our scar tissue. 
But what we have to do is replace as many of them with accelerators and also befriend the hijackers and know when that ugly demon is going to show up in your life. When does that perfectionism show up? And can I have a conversation with myself and slow myself down and recognize how ludicrous it is to assume that I should be perfect? So sometimes the hijackers are just there and maybe a little annoying, but not actually hijacking. And sometimes they're literally hijacking. And it's, it's about knowing when this shadow side or these, these exactly. challenges that we have, it's not about eradicating them from our personalities, but it's about knowing when they get in the way and what kinds of situations, and then doing our best to avoid the actual hijacking moment. Let me give you a dramatic example. Everybody's familiar with Michael Phelps. He had lots of accelerators, his drive, his standard of excellence, even his perfectionism. And here was a guy who won 33 gold medals or 35 gold medals. And suddenly at the height of his uh, reign coming out of Beijing, he fell apart. He got DUIs. He started abusing alcohol. He had family problems. He put himself in the hospital and he got treatment. Now he's become an advocate for mental health. He discovered that all of those accelerators in that exaggerated form became his hijackers. He didn't allow himself to develop as a human being. We all have smaller versions of that. You know, he's such an interesting example, and it is an interesting example to use because you know, we all want incredible success. And here's an example of someone who's won more gold medals in the event than anybody. And so he was incredibly narrow and incredibly shallow and incredibly successful. And so there's a way in which what you're saying is we may have to be okay with being less successful in order to be sort of fully healthy human beings with the ability to make an impact in the long term? Uh, I think it depends on how you measure success. If you only measure success as being financially sec uh, successful, um, to me, that's a pretty narrow way of thinking about success. To me, success is, are you healthy in the holistic sense? Are you fulfilled in your life? And are you productive or successful in the way you define success in your career? So if you do it too narrowly, you're going to get, you're vulnerable. Um, so I, I tend to promote a more, um, uh, a broader definition of success in order to be most productive. So do I. And I think what's important here is to recognize that in pursuing that success, we may be at a competitive disadvantage to some people who are, who are making choices that may or may not work for them long term, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the way we're defining success. So I, I may choose to say I'm going to live in this way that feels more healthy to me, but it means I have to be okay with Michael Phelps being a better swimmer than me or someone else writing a book that gets more sales than me. And I think that's a really big thing. Because I think it's very, very hard for those of us that are competitive to, to be okay with not winning. And that feels like a very conscious act to say, I'm actually going to be at a competitive disadvantage because I'm going to prioritize some things that allow me to go deep or broader and, and not put all of my energy into this one thing the way someone else who's going to beat me 
is putting their energy into that one thing. Well, you raise a very interesting issue, and I talk about this in the book, and that is that many of us grew up with the paradigm that the goal of life was to be the smartest kid in the room. And we went through nursery school with handwriting, and we went through elementary school and high school. We went into our careers, but we've outgrown that paradigm. Being smart is table stakes today. And the smart paradigm is based on a scarcity notion that I am what I know, there are winners and losers, I have to avoid weakness and my vulnerability, and I only rely on myself. We need now to become more conscious in a world that is constantly changing. That's based on the notion of abundance. There are lots of winners in this society. Sharing is better than hoarding information and knowledge and power. And, and ultimately, being aware of myself and others is as important or more important than just being smart. So this notion of having winners and losers. Now, let me give you a couple examples of how that shows up. There are so many organizations that are so obsessed with the short term at the expense of their talent development, filling up their pipelines, investments in research development, building long-term customer loyalty and the like, and there are long-term consequences to that. Look at this country now. 20 years ago, we chose not to invest in the human capital training of our workers. And suddenly when we became global and technology took over, we have this huge swath of our population that don't have the skills to compete in the new economy. So this short-term perspective gets in the way. We need to think in the short term and the long term simultaneously, and that is a new skill. And that's a key idea throughout this whole conversation, that we need to do a lot of things simultaneously. We need to accept our accelerators and hijackers and at the same time uh, try to try to uh, go beyond them. We, we you know, have the capacity to feel two things at once, you know, the fear and the hope at once and not let it derail us. So it's a very, you know, expansive idea in that way that feels very important. Bob, we're out of time, but I'm so happy you've been uh, with us on the show. The book is Conscious, the Power of Awareness in Business and in Life. Bob Rosen, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. My pleasure, Peter. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.